Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Now, what I want to do today is just have a bit of fun with you. I have taught this many, many times before, and sometimes I've taught uh, sort of little church conference weekends, and I, uh, I've been asked to teach on this material a couple of times. On the three big mistakes, or most common anyway, that uh, believers can make regarding the will of God, and particularly how to sort of test if this is God's will or not. And so, uh, don't be offended today, or not any more than usual anyway. Just relax, because every one of us have made most of these mistakes many times. I just don't want you to make them anymore. And to help you understand that certain ways of testing the plan of God may not be biblical, and they're certainly not clever. And uh, so we're going we're gonna to think about these. I want, we're dealing today with the, with the issue of, okay, I have come to... Uh, a point in my life where I have to make a decision. It's not, I'm not, we're not dealing today with, I want to know the future. We're dealing with the issue of, here I am, I'm at a crossroads, and I can't go back, I have to turn left or right. I have to take this job or not. I have to sign to buy this house or not. Uh, I have to marry this girl, this boy, or not. You know, I'm at this point. I've been offered a promotion. Should I take it? What do I do? And what's happened is over the years, people have developed a system whereby they test what God is saying to them. And I want to suggest to you today that these tests are not very good. But we've all done them. Here is the first one. The first what I think of as a, as a common mistake regarding uh, testing the will of God is this. Do I have a peace about it? Now, you possibly have never heard this, but very possibly you have. I was taught this as a young Christian, not maybe from a pulpit, but just by what Christians would say. They would say, well, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, should I do this, should I do that? And someone would say to me, well, do you have, wait for it, a peace about it? Do you have a peace about it? Well, I'm thinking of signing this contract. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, do you have a peace about it? Well, I'm thinking of marrying her. Really? Yeah, but I don't know if I should... Do you have a peace about it? People have said it all the time. It comes from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15. So I don't know if you turn to Colossians 3, but if you're there, you will find these words. Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. This is the verse. So if ever you heard this phrase, do you have a peace about it? It comes from this. 
What we notice immediately as good Bible students is that this verse has nothing to do with guidance. Because if you look at the preceding verses, verse 13, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against each other, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Verse 14, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So the first thing is, this verse is to do with being peaceful. Not having a peace about guidance. It's to do with forgiving people. Well, that's the will of God for a start. So I've got to forgive people. That's God's will. Do you have a peace about it? What they mean when they offer this suggestion, what they actually mean is this, that if God is in it, you will feel sort of happy. You'll be signing that contract with a skip in your step. You'll be moving house, feeling happy. Yeah, this is the right thing to do. You'll be getting down on one knee, uh, uh, which in my case involved Jane having to help me back up again. But uh, you'll be... You'll be asking for a hand in marriage happily. That's what they mean. You've got a peace about it. You feel it. You feel it inside. It's good. I feel, yeah, this is the will of God. The problem with this approach is it actually centers everything down about how you feel. And sometimes I have made the, some of the biggest mistakes in my life thinking, okay. And here's the other thing. Other times, I might have made good decisions, but not felt very good about about it. Here's a classic example from the Bible. The story of Jonah. Jonah, here's what God's will is. Jonah decides to not do the will of God. Is that right? Gets in a boat. And goes in the wrong direction. As he's traveling in the wrong direction, there's a storm. A whale is swimming around, feeling a bit hungry. And as the boat is traveling in the wrong direction, going the wrong way, where is Jonah? Can anyone tell me? Where was Jonah in the story? He was in the boat, but a bit more than that. He was asleep on a cushion. Right, so we could say this, that going in the wrong direction, Jonah had a peace about what he was doing. He was just asleep, he was happy. Oh yeah, with a skip in his step, going in the wrong direction. Do you know what, when I was a kid, I never thought in a million years that by the time I was 43, I would stand in front of a crowd of people doing this. I got a piece about that. Jonah went the wrong way and he felt happy about it. Now, let me give you another example. Gethsemane. Jesus, dealing with the will of God. It was the will of God for him to go to the cross. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus did not have a peace about going to the cross. Because he prayed in agony in the garden. Is that right? Sweat like blood, you know? Going in the right direction. 
doing the right thing, but it made him sweat. Why do you think the Bible told Joshua, why do you think God in the Bible told Joshua to be strong and courageous? Because he felt weak and fearful. That's why. He didn't have a peace about crossing the Jordan and attacking the land. He was nervous about doing that. He was nervous about doing that. There's a great verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 3 that says, Paul, arriving at Corinth, the great apostle Paul, preacher extraordinaire, signs of wonders, apostolic wisdom, brilliant orator, sat at the feet of Gamaliel. It says this, that when he went to Corinth, he was weak and fearful and trembled with nervousness about being there. Did he have a peace about going to Corinth? Nope. Should he have gone to Corinth? Yes. So the first thing I want to say to you is this. As you test the will of God, as you come to the, come to the crossroads and you're deciding, should I go to this college or this one? Uh, should I buy this house or not? Should I go into business on my own or should I stay in my work? You know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. As you think about these things, what you mustn't do is you mustn't let your emotional feelings about the scenario uh, pseudo be, you know, the will of God to you. Because I want to tell you that when you do the will of God, it's extremely challenging many times. Many brides have a wonderful wedding day, but I tell you this, if we just went backstage the night before the wedding for the bride... I said, how you feeling? How's she feeling? Have you got a piece about it, darling? I don't know if that's a yes or a no. When we got married, Jane and I, we were moving house, trying to move house at the same time. Boy, boy, I nearly lost my mind. And... uh, one night, I got up and I was emailing one of the elders here. Uh, <laughs> just it was like five in the morning. Because I couldn't sleep. I was just, just my head, life was spinning round. And uh, so I emailed. I, and, and he saw me on the following Sunday. He said, oh, he said, I got your email. He said, you sent it at, I don't know what it was. Four o'clock in the morning, whenever it was. He said, I expect you're all excited about the wedding. Couldn't sleep. I said, excited is one way to describe it. (laughs) Excited about the way, excited. Excited? Nearly killed me. (laughs) We arrived here, I thought, let's just get it over with. (laughs) We were so stressed, you know. Do you know when I found out, I got this, this is therapy for me, but do you know when I found out when we got the house? We got married on the Saturday. I found out we got the house midday on the Friday. Oh, good. I'll, I'll just take that call. My best man's arriving. Oh, what? We got the house. Yeah, I never doubted it. Whew. And then, of course, I had the other problem, fellas, because I had to get Sky TV in while we were on honeymoon, but that's something else. 
and they wouldn't come. Now, when you do something big, it makes you nervous, doesn't it? So what are we suggesting? That God doesn't want us to do anything big? You're supposed to be nervous when you do something big. Now, now, let me just maybe just make one little caveat here. Of course, there must be such a thing as God troubling us when we're about to do something wrong. I'm going to say that again. There must be such a thing, and I believe there is such a thing, as God troubling us if we're about to do something wrong. But you have to be close to God to hear that. Most times when we're about to do something that's going to cost money, that's going to cost us time, that's going to be like a no way back scenario, we're going to be troubled by it. I get troubled knowing whether to go left or right on a computer game. Oh, should I have gone right? Let alone big decisions in life. So, number one, ways to know if God is speaking to me. Do I have a piece about it? No, it's not a guidance passage. Sometimes God's will is very, very challenging. Just to finish this, I met a lady on the door in uh, Torquay when I was pastoring in Torquay. And it was a Sunday night meeting. I preached my heart out. And then we had a youth rally, as we used to call them in those days. And the ladies stayed for that. And then right at the end, I think it was right at the end, I just said, I said goodbye to her on the door. And she told me that she was about to move uh, home. I'd never met her before. She was just a guest. And I never met her again. And she said to me, she said, but I'm really worried about moving because I feel like God's not in it because I don't feel a peace about it. And I looked at her and I said, well, of course you're not going to feel a peace. You're moving home. And she looked at me like, and she began to cry. And God spoke to her right in the foyer. And confirm to her, if you like, that it's, it's okay to move home and be stressed about moving home. Anyone here ever moved home and thought, what a marvelous thing to do? No. So don't let peace be the umpire of what you do. Because it's just really saying, how do I feel about this? If it feels good, do it might lead you to a whale's mouth. Have a think about that. Number two. Number two. (laughs) Turn to Judges chapter 6, please. Here's a good old favorite from uh, kooky wisdom. Cowboy wisdom accumulated over the years. Judges chapter 6. I'm going to put out a fleece about this. I'm putting out a fleece. Judges chapter 6. And the story of Gideon's fleece. Let's read a bit of this. 
Gideon said to God, Judges 6, verse 36. Now this is the most famous bit of guidance that people use, I think, and shouldn't do, but we'll come to that now. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, did you notice that? If you will do it by my hand as you have promised, we'll come back to that in a minute. Look, he says. <laughs> in the King James Bible says, behold. But in the NIV, look. Look here. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. Now, as far as I'm aware, this is a pullover, isn't it? A jumper. Uh, something, you know, something you put on that's warm. A fleece. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And this is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece, the, the pullover, and he wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Amazing. So the ground was dry, but the jumper was full of water. Now he says, verse 39, just one more little test. Don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me just one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry, all the ground was covered with dew, saturated with water. Now this is a really, really popular way to get guidance. Okay, God, I'm at the crossroad. Should I go this way? Should I go this way? I know what I'll do. I will tell God to send me a sign. Lord, it might go something like this. And we touched on this a bit last week, but here it is again. Lord, if I'm supposed to change my job, then let a red bus go by in the next few minutes. So you're waiting. You say, Lord, I'm just going to give you a few more minutes. And a, a black bus is fine because the red ones are rare. Okay. Lord, if I'm supposed to marry Linda, then I pray, by the way, we're not dating or anything, but I pray that she will sit near me in church today. Not next to me, but somewhere near me. Linda doesn't show up that week. Lord, if I'm supposed to marry Linda, may she come next week and sit near me. Lord, if I'm supposed to marry Linda, I just pray that she'll just show up at all. I don't care if she sits near me. I love Linda! Oh, sorry, Jane. Now, but people do this all the time. If I'm supposed to get this job, I pray that so-and-so will phone me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Really? Come on. What are we doing here? Do you think God really speaks to us through buses? 
Is this what we've done? The, the most classic mistake in this area is that we actually, we, we sort of want God to say yes or no. And what we want to do is, I think it's a huge thing. If, if you listen to nothing else this morning, please listen to this. One of the main issues of the will of God is that sometimes we have to make a decision. And we don't want to make a decision. We want God to make a decision. So we ask him to send a bus around the corner <laughs> that says yes or no. And really, you might just as well forget, you might just well have a lucky number or spin a coin. It, it's just throwing your destiny into the hands of fate. I told you last week that terrible story and it amuses, but it's also sad because we know how distressing it must have been for this poor girl in my church in Torquay who was madly in love with the worship leader of the church, went up onto a cliffside to pray, and he just happened to drive up and was next in the next car. So she's in one car, he's in another car, and they're both looking out at the cliff. And she just prayed about, oh Lord, I want to marry him, and he showed up. Can you just imagine what she would have thought? Who can blame her? The problem was he was engaged to someone else. And he did not fancy her. So it was never going to work. We shouldn't throw ourselves on the, on the mercy of, of circumstances. If somebody rings me, then I'll do this. No, no. Are we supposed to hear from God? Aren't we supposed to make decisions based upon his word about what we should do? Not about whether uh, something happens. Now, the first thing about the story is, as well as it's not really a, a passage about guidance anyway, it's actually a passage about disobedience. In verse 16, the Lord, in Judges 6, says to him, I will be with you, Gideon, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. So the first thing is, it's actually a story about disobedience. It's a story about a lack of faith on, on his part. Now, who can blame him? But it's a story about a lack of faith. It's not a, it's not a template for guidance. God already told him, I'm going to do it. But he didn't believe God. So he sets this with his jumper and the, the, <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the lawn. So it's not about guidance. Secondly, he was asking for two grade A miracles. Now, I don't know that you know what I mean by a grade A miracle. A grade A miracle is that it means that it's a miracle. When he put his jumper on the ground, and overnight it was saturated with water, so he picked it up and he was, you know, a bowl of water came out of it. That was, listen to me, that was impossible. And in the, in the following instance, where the ground was all saturated, as though there'd been a lot of dew, a lot of rain or whatever, and his jumper was completely dry, that was impossible. Say impossible. Yeah, it was impossible. But that's not normally what the fleeces are like that we put out. Lord, let a bus go by. That ain't impossible. They're always going by. <laughs> right? Oh Lord, let somebody ring me. People are always ringing you. 
It's not a miracle, is it? If somebody rings you. Sometimes it's a miracle if nobody rings you. Like the girl who said, Lord, if you want me to go, I think it was to Scotland actually, to go to Scotland for Christmas, then I pray that uh, you will show me by, that my dad will call me and offer to give me the money to go. Really? I said, well, how, does your dad often ring you? Oh, yeah, every year. What does he do? Oh, he offers to give me the money to go. Really? It's a miracle. Why don't you get up and give a testimony about that? A miracle. Your dad, your, your dad, for the last 12 years, has phoned you up every Christmas and given you the money to go to Scotland, and it's a miracle he's done it this year. No, it's not. It's what he always does. That's what he always does. So he asked for a, he asked for a grade A miracle. So let me tell you this. If you really are going to do this fleece stuff, asking God to set up things, you know, to show you his will, then at least do it like he did it. Ask for something impossible. Not, I want a bus to come round. Ask for Michael Jackson to be driving the bus. <laughs> oh Lord. You know, if my dog barks three times this morning, I'll know that you want me to change job. No, 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 no. If my dog comes in to the front room, says, good morning. <laughs> Leaps backwards through a hoop, singing the national anthem of Spain, of course. Then I'll know that you want me to change my job. To, to, to ask God to do it properly. Not things that are probably come to, gonna come to pass anyway. Do it properly. Better still. Don't do it at all. Don't do it at all. Lord, if, if the alarm clock goes off, I'll know that you want me. You set the alarm yourself. This passage is not about guidance. Let me give you another two passages in the Bible that aren't about guidance. Balaam's donkey. Numbers 22. Anyone remember that story? Yeah? Where the donkey spoke to the prophet Balaam. Now let me ask you this. Why don't we take that passage as a way to get guidance? Yes. I don't know whether to move job or not. I'm going to go myself up the donkey sanctuary this afternoon and I'm going to have a word with Carrots the donkey and, and I'm going to ask him his advice because it's in the Bible after all. The donkey spoke. No, you're not supposed to listen to a donkey. Lord, should I marry him or not? <laughs> or worse still, he just happens to go... You come running back to your charismatic friend. Oh, the donkey, it spoke, spake of unto me. I've got to get married immediately. Nope. How did God speak to Peter? Through a rooster? It's the way God speaks. It's in the Bible. Why don't you go do that? I go up the farm. 
Lord, I've got a major financial decision to make. We're thinking of remortgaging the house. I'm just going up to listen to some of the chickens and see if they've got anything to say about it. Now, of course, it's stupid, but this is just as biblical and stupid. I said, Lord, if a bus goes by, or if they sit there, or Lord, if I get a call. Now, it's useful if someone gives you a call. It might be useful that someone comes and sits near you. Think God may use things, but don't see it as some authoritative signpost. Because coincidences happen too. Pure chance things happen. Somebody calls you up and offers you a job doesn't mean you should take it. Does it? It may not be God at all. Hmm. Number three. Number three. Turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 21. You're still with me? Okay. Acts 21. Here's just one more before we're done. This is um, a well-trodden idea here, but just in case people are new, I've never heard it said before. This is a prophetic church, and um, we believe and exercise the gifts of prophecy regularly. We encourage it, support it, champion it, cheer it on. But prophecy is not primarily supposed to direct you it's supposed to encourage you. In the book of 1 Corinthians 14, prophecy is described as a device that lifts you up, builds you up, encourages you. Rather than, behold, thou shalt go to China. And an, an, an encouraging message that builds you up and encourages you and comforts you is completely different to a voice that tells you what to do. And if you have ever been in a a gathering, and by the grace of God, it won't have been in this room, but maybe. But by the grace of God, maybe not in this room, but if ever you've been in a gathering where someone gave you some sort of instruction about what you should do now, that you hadn't considered ever before, you have absolute permission to just forget it. Here's an example of prophecy, Acts 21 and verse 10. This is a prophecy given to Paul after we've been there a number of days. A prophet called Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. At first glance, it looks like the prophet is giving Paul fresh information about the future. But if you just glance back into chapter 20 and verse 22, Paul says, ahead of this word being given to him, let me say that again, Paul says, ahead 
of this word being given to him. And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. What would Paul's response, what could Paul's response have been to Agabus coming up to him, pulling him out of the crowd? In fact, he does something a bit funny, doesn't he? He takes his belt. No one ever take my belt. I don't care who you are. I don't care what's on your business card. Oh, I'm a prophet from Judea. Are you really? Bring your own belt. In this church, prophets from Judea must bring their own belts. Can you say amen? Yeah, you're not sure, but it's right. He came. What could Paul's response have been to Agabus, who said, I've got a word for you. When you're in Jerusalem, you're going to suffer. What could Paul's response have been? I'll tell you perfectly. He could have said to him, yes, I know. We just read it. He said, in every city, in every city, the Spirit warns me that trouble awaits me. I know, he says. When Paul is saved or struck by the bright light on the Damascus road, God speaks to Ananias and says to him, I want you to go and baptize him. I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my name. So right from the day that Paul was converted, he knew that he was going to have to suffer for the Lord's name. The point I'm making through this is simply that when Agabus gave him this word, it was not new. Even in Acts 13, just in case anyone needs more information, in Acts 13, when the Holy Spirit says, oh, now they're going to be apostles, the actual wording says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Past tense, I'd already called them. Now release them to go. But they already knew the work that was ahead of them. So how do we, how do we translate this into what should happen today? It's, it's, it's quite simply this. And this is a well-trod phrase, but one that we should keep always in our mind. Predictive or directional prophecy is used for confirmation, not direction. God may well speak to you through a, through a prophetic word. But the way that he will do it will be to confirm things that you all already know. Somewhere in there anyway. Somewhere in, it may not be up here, but somewhere in here, you all already know. One day I was in an old Methodist building in 1989. A man came, a pastor of that church came and began to prophesy over me that I would go into the ministry. It was an exciting time. I went home and wrote it down. But let me assure you, I already knew. So then what's the point of prophecy? Well, it's, it's amazing to have confirmation, isn't it? It strengthens us. When a man of God, a woman of God, sees the plan of God in us and affirms it, confirms it, champions it. So it's not, that it's not powerful. But that's very different to me coming up to you in the aisle today and saying, I, I could see you in Australia. Or I think you should, I, the Lord's telling me that you're going to go to, you're going to go to, you know, Yugoslavia. 
These are, these are not the ways that prophecy works. Okay, I'm almost out of time, but I want to finish by giving you very, very quickly then a better way. Is there a better way? Is there a better way? Because it's no good just talking about the ways that don't work. Let's talk about a couple of the ways that do work. We're still going to keep the same scenario. I don't know whether to go this way or that. I don't know whether to move, change job, get married, move out of the country. I don't know where, I don't know where to go. I think there's two simple things that you can do when you need to make a decision like this. And these, both of these are worth getting out of bed for and coming here today to hear. Number one, the first thing you must do is you must change the question. The question is, at the moment, what is the will of God? Let me suggest to you that by and large, you cannot answer that question always. If it's to do with morality, if it's to do with something in the Bible, of course you can answer the question. But if it's not in the Bible, who are you going to marry, where are you going to live, what are you going to do, specifically, then to ask the question, what is God's will, is a difficult question. Here's a better question. Change the question. Ask this question instead. What is a good and godly decision? I'll say it again. What is a good and godly decision? Much of the mess that we get ourselves in is because we have not asked that question. We haven't asked it. We've asked questions like, Lord, is the bus coming around the corner to guide me? But we haven't asked that question. Is this a good and godly decision? Lord, I've been invited to change jobs. Okay, is this a good and godly decision? Well, suddenly, you may not have all the answers, but now you can begin to answer that question. Is this going to be good for me? Is this going to be godly for me? Some people change jobs. It takes them out of, it takes them out of church. Oh, is this a good and godly decision? You don't need a bus to tell you yes or no. Some people uh, aspire to climb a ladder simply because they love money or something like that. So it's, it's not a godly decision. It's not a godly decision to run off with the secretary at work. You don't need the voice of God to, to be able to answer that. You certainly don't need a sign. You just need to know the Bible and make a decision based upon the uh, truth. Well, this, was, this is a good and godly decision. Now, even if you make what you think is a good and godly decision, you can still make a bit of a mistake. But at least you've made it with integrity. At least you've made it with some degree of uh, authenticity rather than, well, I just fitty, just felt good. Lots of things feel good. But what, what does the word of God say about it? About the rest of your life? 
how this decision will change the rest of your life. So that's the first thing. And, and I wish I'd known that in 1988 when I became a Christian. I wish I'd, just that one sentence. I wish I'd known that. Not, is it God's will? Is it a good and godly decision? Because if it is a good and godly decision, it's probably God's will. One time, listen to this. I was sat in this very building. I was sat here. This was in the 90s when these were wooden pews that I don't think anyone remembers now. And I had a a girlfriend. Hey, I had a girlfriend. Come on. And she wanted to marry me. I don't know whether to marry her or not. And I just came, I just, I'm at the end of myself. I've got to make a decision. Am I going to marry her or not? And I was sat somewhere here, I remember. In this church, because I was a student and on placement here. So I used to come here Sunday after Sunday. I never knew I'd be holding a microphone here. I just used to sit there. Now listen to this. I said, God, I have got to know. I have got to know. Should I marry her or not? Yes or no? (laughs) And no word of a lie. I opened my eyes. And there written on the wall was the word, yes. Because on that wall, for a hundred years, were these words. Jesus Christ is the same. Yes, today. (laughs) Today and forever. Hebrews 13, is it verse 8? The word yes is on the wall. We all saw it. And I went back to college and I called it off. Now you just tell me. What about if instead of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, forever, there was another verse of scripture. There is no one righteous. No, not one. Then the answer would have been no. Depending on when the deacon went out to buy a board, which was cheaper at the auction house that day. We don't live our lives according to those sorts of forces. Is it a good and a godly decision? Yes or no? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no. Seek advice. So that's the first thing. The second one, and I'll finish with this. First of all, change your question. Number two. Commit yourself to God. One more verse. Please go in your Bible to Romans 12. With this we close. Romans chapter 12. Which is where we began last week. Therefore. I urge you. Brothers. 
in view of God's mercy. To offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. How do you know the will of God? I'm afraid you have to be close to God. How do I know the will of Jane? I am close to Jane. How do I know the will of my earthly father, my dad? Because I am close to my dad. How do I know what the will would be of one of my best friends, say Phil? Because I am close to Phil. How do you know what someone's will is? You, you know because you know them. You don't ask them to send a bus around a corner. You know them. And Paul tackles this head on. He says, you want to know the will of God? Then renew your mind. Don't conform to the pattern of the way that other people live. Or even the way other Christians live. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Live like he lived. Think like he thinks. Well, it's expensive. I know it's expensive. But think like he thinks. Live like he lived. Speak like he speaks. And then you will know what God's will is. I want to finish with this picture. Paul seems to suggest that if you do the will of God, if you surrender to the will of God, then it's done by default. Something kicks in, which is default. Lord, said Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. How are you going to do the will of God in your life? By surrendering to him. And then a kind of a strange default kicks in. Sometimes it's better to be dead to to yourself And then taken into God's will by him. Than to be alive and making all the decisions. May God's will be done in our lives. Some of you may have big questions even now. We're thinking of this. We're thinking of that. Begin to ask yourselves, is this good and godly? And I promise you, you won't be stuck at the T-junction for much longer. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.